Psalm 95 is a psalm of David, but it is not merely the thoughts of David. The writer of Hebrews begins his quote from this psalm with these words, as the Holy Spirit says. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Of course, all of Scripture is what the Spirit of God is saying to us, but in a peculiar or particular way, it is emphasized that this psalm is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms or songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand or the sheep in his care today if you would hear his voice do not harden your hearts as at Meribah as in the day of Massa in the wilderness when your fathers tested me they tried me though they had seen my work for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. This psalm begins with a call to joyfully worship God. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout, let us even shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully with songs of praise to him. And then we are warned in the latter part of the psalm against closing our hearts to God's voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We should not harden our hearts to anything God says to us. But in Psalm 95, this strong warning immediately follows the call to joyful and passionate, grateful worship in God's presence. We can harden our hearts to God's voice in many ways, but I believe there are few things that so many people resist as God's call to worship. Some people will say, well, I will worship God in my way, but they stiffen their backs to expressing worship as God prescribes for us. Charles Spurgeon said, some harden their hearts by resolving not to show emotion in regard to spiritual things. This is a clear and present danger to our spiritual lives. If we are not careful, we can be so concerned about being proper and dignified that we will resist 
the kind of worship that God himself desires for us and that God himself calls us to right from the Scripture. For some people, I'm not comfortable with that becomes the ultimate guiding principle for everything in their life, including worship. Matthew Henry said, the psalmist stirs us up to praise God for it is a duty which ought to be performed with the most lively affections and which we have great need to be excited to because we are very often backward to it and cold in it. I know some of the language in that is kind of old, but I think you get it, don't you? Psalm 95 calls us from a stiff and rebellious response to God to an unrestrained joy and singing in His presence. God is seeking worshipers. God is recruiting worshipers, those who will worship Him with wholehearted affection and expressions of joy and gratitude. And we should not we should not push back to this by saying, well, that's just not me, or again, I'm just not comfortable with that. Joy-filled praise, exuberant joy-filled praise was a mark of the great revivals through history. John Wesley said during the Great Awakening, he said, in writing to Blenton, I was full of delight and seemed in the new heavens and new earth. We prayed, we sang, and we shouted all the way. Howell Harris, another key figure in the, in the uh, Great Awakening, said, my food and drink was praising my God, and a fire was kindled in my soul, and I was clothed with power. Wesley described his meetings as filled with the cries of those on the one hand who were pierced through as with a sword and of those on the other hand who were filled with unspeakable joy. So there was, there was this loud noise in the meetings filled with, by some with the cries of repentance, their heart being pierced through by the word of God and on the other hand, it was filled with cries of great joy and shouting as, as he described it, filled the cries of unspeakable joy. Lex, Lex Loisaide wrote an article about the great revivals or the great awakening in particular and the name of the article was called Noisy Meetings. And he concluded the article by saying, may God give us such revival scenes with multitudes gathering to hear the good news of the grace of God in Christ and church meetings filled with foretastes of heavenly glory. Amen. Psalm 95 begins with an appeal to come or O come. Strong's Hebrew concordance says this Hebrew word means to come, to walk, to go. 
it is sometimes translated to move. It is an invitation to come from wherever you are to another place. I am convinced that we do not worship more because we intuitively know that at times our hearts are not in a state of joy or singing or thankfulness and certainly not shouting. We're just not feeling it. And so we assume we cannot or should not worship God with joyful singing or thanksgiving or shouts of praise. We think that would be fake or just emotionalism. And it could be that if, if we left our hearts in their present state and just put on an outward act. But this call to come, the call of the Holy Spirit is to our whole being, body, soul, and spirit. We are to get up and move or come from where we are into this place of joyful singing joyful shouting and thanksgiving before God. Of course we don't always feel it or we wouldn't need this appeal to come. God knows how our hearts sometimes struggle. God knows how much bad stuff can sometimes get into our hearts. And yet graciously and lovingly and yet powerfully and forcefully he speaks to us in whatever state our heart is in and he says oh come come from wherever you're at come from wherever your heart is at and come now into this place of joyful singing joyful shouting shouting songs of praise coming with gratitude before the Lord come into this better place of joyful worship you know apparently this didn't happen this morning but many times we come to church on a Sunday morning with our our hearts weighted down with personal problems family problems work problems money problems um, a big win or disappointing loss by our favorite team. Uh, some may come nursing an offense or harboring a, harboring a critical spirit. And sometimes, I'm just telling you, it is a huge challenge to move hearts into the kind of worship just described in Psalm 95. And of course, we, we can't do it by law. We can't do it by force or by shame. But we are to call us into God's presence every time we gather. Certainly on Sunday morning, we're to call ourselves into God's presence with joyful singing, worship, and praise. An evangelist 150 years ago or so once asked in a meeting, uh, how many came, came into this room? How many came into this meeting with thanksgiving and praise in their hearts? And apparently not many people raised their hands. And so he had them all get up and go back outside and re-enter with praise and thanksgiving in their hearts. 
and they had one of the greatest praise services those people had ever been in. This is a call to, to us as a congregation that doesn't say, let me sing and shout joyfully, although I think that's really important. But it doesn't say, let me sing and shout joyfully. It says, let us. We are called to come as a people. That's why it is so important that we place just such high priority on gathering together, coming as a people. Let us come and worship the Lord. God designed us to walk with other believers. We're to live the Christian life. We're to walk with other believers and to worship with other believers. Of course, we praise God by ourselves, but we are called, it's a very important call that we worship God together. Many people place very low priority on worshiping with others because they think they will do just fine without it, and yet they are not growing or maturing because of their isolation. We just can't. It's a spiritual law. We're made to grow together into the full measure of the stature of Christ that God has called us to. Many do not faithfully or regularly worship with others because they think the Christian life is mainly a matter of their own personal experience with God. And it certainly is that. But we also have a holy obligation to stimulate and encourage others by worshiping together with them with glad hearts. God reveals to us here in this psalm the specific kinds of worship he has in mind for his people. And although we've talked about them, we're going to talk more in depth about each of them. First, God wants us to come before him with joy. He wants us to come before him with joyful singing. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And if, if, like, if that's not enough, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms or songs of praise. Joy is certainly not the only way we express worship, but it is, it is to be dominant in our worship together. We can, we can come to God in, in desperation. Uh, we can sing to God with great reverence. We can worship God in, in silence, in absolute silence. But God also wants us to have and to express not just to have, but to express joy in his presence. God is pleased with quiet, slow, reverent worship, but he's not only pleased with that kind of worship. I always smile when I hear Larry Norman's words, which, which I do frequently because I love the song, why, why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? He says, 
I ain't knocking the hymns. Just give me a song that moves my feet. I don't like none of those funeral marches. I ain't dead yet. You know, there's a place for that kind of music. Uh, Michael Brown wrote an article, Whatever Happened to Upbeat Praise Songs? He said, I've noticed something missing in the midst of my ministry travels. In some of the meetings, every song is slow and solemn. I've found myself asking, where is the joy and celebration? Where are the songs you can dance to or jump to? Sometimes our worship can be so somber, and I wonder, are these a reflection of our emotional state? Perhaps we need a change. I am burdened to see the fullness of joy in our worship and praise. Amen. Second, our joy is to be expressed with volume and energy. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, or let us shout with songs of praise. The ESV says, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. All of our praise certainly is not to be silent. Our praise is not to be silent or restrained. Worship is to be expressive and at least much of it is to be exuberant. Our worship should sound like we are making a joyful noise because that's what God tells us to do. So, you know, if someone came in here and they didn't even understand English, they should say, hey, those, man, there's joy in that room. Those people are making a joyful noise. Bible teacher uh, Robert Diffenbaugh pointed out that we think of worship as private and silent, but we are called to public and even loud worship. He said, when we are told to sing a song worshipfully, worshipfully, we know that this means we are to sing slowly and quietly. But that's an idea of worship ingrained in us and not necessarily God's idea for our worship, certainly not for all of our worship. Third, we are to come to God with thanksgiving. Let us come before God or come into His presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Ephesians 5:20, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our worship is to be permeated with thanksgiving for all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Paul said, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And, he, and then he explains what that walk should look like. Being firmly rooted and being built up in him, established in your faith and overflowing with gratitude. That's, that's how we're supposed to walk in Jesus. We, after we received Christ, we're to walk in Him, growing, being built up, and all the time overflowing with gratitude. One of the, I can't remember which translation it is. I think New American Standard maybe says abounding 
with gratitude. That's, that's how we live and walk. And certainly when we come together, we're called. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Well, why are we to come before God? Why are we to come, come before our God with all this joyful exuberance and gratitude? Verse 3, 4, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. God is greater than any angel or any supernatural being. And I think there's a lot of them. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, it's referring to Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We know very little about the invisible world know very little about what those thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, but we know that our God is the creator and the supreme ruler of all beings, all beings that are visible or invisible. He is, the, he is a great king above all gods. The God that we worship created everything that exists and he owns it all. And that's what this next part of the psalm goes into. He, he holds in his hands, just in his hands, he, he holds the whole earth. He holds the, the deep places of the earth, whether that refers to, 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 to the valleys, to the lowest valleys, or even to the core of the earth. He owns it all. He holds in his hand the deep places of the earth and the mountain peaks also belong to him. He made the sea. His hands formed the dry land. The point is, it, he made it all, and it all belongs to him. You cannot go any place on this earth, and of course you can't go anywhere in the universe, but you can't go any place on the earth that God did not make and does not own. I mean, we are, we are standing on his ground this morning. We are breathing his air. And he is, he is a great God. He's a creator. He, he, he made it all and he owns it all. But he did not just make all of the physical creation. He made us. And that's, again, what, right where, where this psalm takes us. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, or the Lord who made us. You and I did not come into existence on our own. At some point, usually when we're fairly young, we, we somehow discover that, that we're a, a being, that we're a living being. And I mean, it's kind of a, we didn't make ourselves, we, we, we just came into existence. We just, we just are. And we, we, don't, we, don't even, we don't know how it happened or even, or, at least in the natural, why, why we're here. We have a body, a mind, a soul, and someone gave us that. A Russian poet wrote a very stirring poem. Uh, his name is Olsip Mandelstrom, and he says, somebody gave me this body, 
What do I do with it now? It's a very remarkable body. And nobody's body but mine. I'm alive and I breathe. I'm strong and tall. Won't somebody tell me who to thank for it all? And the poem actually is written with a sense of great wonder that we have a body and that we live and breathe. But there, unfortunately, is also a sense of despair in the poem because it does not recognize that God is the one who made us. But we know that, and that's what this psalm tells us. Our worship flows out of knowing God as our creator and knowing his loving care for us as our shepherd. The Reformed Children's Catechism asks, why should you worship God? The answer, because he made me and takes care of me. Do we need any more reason than that to worship God? I love the simplicity of that. Why should you worship God? Why should you, why should you get excited about God? Why should you worship him with joyful songs of praise? Why should, you, why should you shout hallelujah? Why should you praise God? Because he made me and takes care of me. And, of course, this, is, this uh, catechism answer is taken from verse 6 of this psalm. Come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel in the presence of the Lord who made us, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the flock in his care. That's ISV translation. So in addition to coming before God with joyful, exuberant singing, we come before God with worship. We come and we worship him. We, we bow we kneel before him in awe and in wonder and in humility. We are humbled by his greatness and by his loving care for us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the flock in his care. He has committed himself to us. And he has devoted himself to our needs as a shepherd devotes himself to the care of his flock. And knowing that, believing that in our hearts, what can we do but worship him and bow down and kneel before the Lord who made us and takes care of us. And we should not be afraid or ashamed of getting on our knees before the Lord in private or at times in church. And I know it's really awkward to do anything different than anybody else does. We, we are such, we are creatures of such conformity. But I think at times we, we just flat out need to get on our knees before God. I really do. Um, it just communicates something to the Lord. It's just that, that, we, that we are His, cre his creature. We are, we are His people. And He is so far above us and so good to us in His care that all we can do is just fall to our knees and, and worship Him and praise Him. Paul told the Ephesians that when I pray for you, he said, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul got on his knees. Spurgeon said, 
Prayer is heard when knees cannot bend. And I understand that sometimes we get to a point in life or, or something has happened where it's just tough to get on your knees. And, and that's what Spurgeon is saying. Prayer is heard when knees cannot bend. <laughs> but it is fitting that an adoring heart should show its awe by prostrating the body and bending the knee. And there is, there is nothing so life-giving, so liberating to your heart as to bow down before the Lord, certainly in your heart and actually getting on your knees if you can in the morning and submitting yourself to Him and committing yourself into His loving care with this humble, childlike trust. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the only rightful place that we have before God. All right, then following this, this invitation to worship is a serious warning, a very serious warning. Verse 8, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. Meribah means quarreling, and Massa means testing. At this place, God's people quarreled with Moses and poured out bitter complaint and discontent to Moses and to God. And here, here's the story. I'm going to read it for you from Exodus chapter 17. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, instead of God's people worshiping God and trusting their needs to Him, instead of them joyfully praising Him or thanking Him, entrusting themselves to his care as their shepherd, just the opposite. They turned on God. They grumbled, they complained, and they quarreled. And they thought they were merely complaining and grumbling against Moses. But in reality, they were grumbling and complaining against God. They were bitterly discontent with their circumstances and they put God to the test saying hey is God here or not and it says 
in Psalm 95, it says they erred or went astray in their hearts. In other words, they made a huge mistake with their hearts. And our hearts are not in the right place when we complain and quarrel and accuse. Our hearts are not in the right place when we resist God's call to joyful, exuberant, grateful, humble worship. God's called us to that. And we're not to harden our hearts against that. We're not to stiffen ourselves or our will or our backs against that. Some here this morning or listening to me may need to repent of resisting the Holy Spirit in this area of worship. And I encourage you, if you have heard God speaking to you through His Word this morning, I encourage you to to respond, to listen, to, to stop resisting or hardening your heart against God in this area. Some here this morning may need to be freed from the shackles of stiff and formal worship from their religious or church upbringing. I've been through that, so I know. You know, some of us need to be set free from our past, honestly. And you, need, you just need to go to God this morning and, and acknowledge that. Tell Him, Lord, I'm, I'm willing and I'm, I'm willing to be set free. You'll never be set free unless you want to be set free and willing to, to be set free to, to let your heart more fully express worship and exuberance and shouting songs of praise to Him. And all of us need the powerful and ongoing inward working of the Holy Spirit to enable us to um, joyfully praise and sing and shout before God because it's, it's, it's not in our flesh to do that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a work that's, that comes from knowing God through Jesus. It's a work that comes once we, when we come to God through Jesus and our sins are washed away and He sends His Spirit into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father, He begins in us a life of praise and of overflowing with gratitude and worship. And so we need that, all of us. So let God work that into your heart today. Father, we ask you to do a...